The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with Fee Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, Mike Gibson coming to you live from ACC 2021, and we've got a first today on the show. We have a patient. We have a patient who participated in the trial, Greg Merritt, who's going to present the results of the adaptable study. Greg, walk us through why all of you patients working together with physicians, why all of you came together to do a study like adaptable. So the question that really we were trying to answer, and, and I frankly thought we knew the answer in advance, uh, was what the right dose of aspirin uh, should be, uh, 81 milligrams or uh, 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 325 uh, post-heart attack. And my presumption was, having had a heart attack, that we knew the answer to that question. And so when we didn't know the answer, this was a great opportunity for us to, uh, to get together, uh, utilize uh, PCORnet, which of course uh, is a network of networks so we could look across uh, lots and lots of studies. And I think what was unique was from the very beginning patient, uh, what we called ourselves adapters uh, to the adaptable study, uh, got a chance to be a, uh, affect essentially all of the aspects of the study, uh, from informed consent all the way through to uh, what we're now doing in dissemination. So that's so cool, Greg. Talk to us a little bit more about the details of that. How many adapters? How did you meet? How did you come to consensus? And how was it implemented? That's, that's fantastic. Great. Uh, so there were uh, nine of us during the study, some uh, change along the way, but, but largely nine of us uh, uh, came together. Uh, we were connected out uh, uh, from the Healthy Heart uh, Study initially, uh, and that group of uh, people had a, a facilitator, uh, and uh, Madeline was fantastic for us, uh, meeting every two weeks uh, online like this. So we actually beat the pandemic. We actually got a chance to do this before this was cool. And, uh, and what we really meant is every two weeks, we'd look at things that were related to the study, uh, give feedback, and sometimes give feedback that were actually not asked. So things that really mattered to us to say, why is that a question? Why do you do it that way? And I think that made a, a massive difference in the ways in which this trial uh, ultimately got uh, up to speed and, and uh, got going. That's just absolutely amazing and great. Well, then talk to us a little bit about, you know, how the study was designed, how many patients were included, and uh, how you answered the question. So uh, we had, uh, uh, in the end, and Skylar, you could probably help a little on this one, 30,000 is what we ended up having somewhere uh, around there. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll let Skylar do this piece of this, just so it's easier for me not to uh, mess any data up along the way. Yeah, sure. So, um, so... 450,000 uh, patients were approached for the study, Mike, and about 30,000 went to the patient portal, which is an online portal. So that's where they were able to enroll and do electronic consent and, and actually self-randomize to 81 or 325. A total of 15,076 patients ended up uh, randomizing into the study. So randomization was effective. It was uh, equal uh, patients had common comorbidities. Uh, they had to have established heart disease. So again, we're studying secondary prevention. And then they had to have an enrichment uh, risk factor. Uh, 
Um, so common things, Mike, that you study like age and, um, you know, heart, uh, heart failure, other things. So, um, so yeah, 15,076 and we followed them for 26 months. Wow. Greg, did you, uh, how did the medicine work, Greg? Did you get told, go to the store and take a baby aspirin or go to the store and take a full dose? Of did you get this? How did it work? So the randomization happened uh, by once you were enrolled in the study, uh, you were either put in arm one, which was if you were on 81, you just kept taking it. If you're on 325, kept taking it. If you had to switch, you switched. Uh, and, and so essentially, we just randomized uh, groups of patients who had had heart attacks in either 81 or 325. And Greg, how do we know if you had a problem, had a heart attack or died or stroke or anything like that? How was that followed up? Uh, so through the electronic health records uh, and the common data model that took place for PCORnet, there was opportunities for uh, uh, researchers to, to comb that data, get information back and test the hypothesis as to which one of these uh, was more effective for the endpoints that we had. Drum roll, Greg, is there a difference? <laughs> Well, so the great thing about this study, here's the drum roll. The great thing about this study is we learned an awful lot about the role that patient partners could have to influence uh, studies. And we learned an awful lot about how to use PCORnet as national network of electronic health data. And the results, of course, are neutral. We did not find uh, a, a difference. Now, there's a lot of subtleties to this that I think uh, I'll have Skylar talk about and talk through. Uh, but I think it's important to know, and at least, again, as somebody who takes 81 milligrams of aspirin every day, uh, this was still important for me to know about what we learned from this because I wanted to know whether I should be changing, right? So I'd like to live a long uh, long uh, life that is filled with quality and assure that I don't have another heart attack. And so uh, this was a really important uh, outcome for me. Uh, obviously, we'd all like to have known that there's a clear winner, uh, and, uh, uh, but I think it's just one of those things that, that happen in studies that make it no less important uh, and particularly no less important because of the role that patient partners had. But I'll let Skylar, if you want to talk about anything specific about that. Yeah, sure. So, Scott, was it designed to be a superiority study or a non-inferiority study? What was the goal? Yeah, the, the overall goal was to show that one dose is better than the other. And I think the original hypothesis was that 325 may be more effective. Mike, I think many of us thought maybe it's more effective. And the big concern is, as uh, you and I have talked about before, is the fear of bleeding, right? So you all often talk about a number needed to um, to blame or yeah, yeah and then, right and so yeah. that's what I think that's what drives clinical decisions right and so patients want to know that answer we, we feel like the study was designed well to answer a common um, and pretty simple question you know unfortunately there isn't a difference between the two doses and we had some um, you know, there was dose switching between the groups. In fact, there was probably preferences and beliefs that may have uh, led to people switching from 325 to 81. Um, and that may have impacted the results. But, but overall, we had a well-conducted study. Um, as Greg said, we had electronic health record data from 40 centers. We had Medicare or private health insurance data for about a third of uh, participants. And then we had patient reported data from the online portal or from the DCRI call center that backed all of that up. 
And so we have this matrix of, of kind of, um, of data to use for endpoint ascertainment that, um, that we think is a, a model for future studies. Well, you know, less can be more. In the Plato study, low-dose aspirin probably turned out to be better than high-dose aspirin when used in combination with this other drug, Ticagrelor. How often were people on kind of dual therapies in the study, Skylar? Sure. Yeah. So starting off this study, about 25% of patients were on dual antiplatelet therapy. So Mike, one of the interesting things is we put the protocol up for public review. We got hundreds of actually maybe thousands of comments. And one of the big concerns was that cardiologists didn't feel comfortable randomizing patients on Ticagrelor to aspirin doses based on the North America data from Plato. And so we actually, we, we had very few exclusion criteria, but we did exclude Ticagrelor. We did exclude uh, direct oral anticoagulants as well from the study. I see. So this is a pretty clean look at aspirin itself or aspirin with uh, clopidogrel or yeah. Grill. Well, you know, I'm really excited to hear this, Scudder, because, you know, in the Heartline study, where we're looking at the Apple Watch to see can it detect atrial fibrillation, we're also using claims databases and patient reported outcomes. Yeah. How good was the concordance between what patients reported on the app and what you found in a claims database? So, yeah, really great question. I have thought about it with you for, for Heartline, and, and I think that... Um, we're still doing some of those analyses. So the, the challenge is we did a first to a time to event or first event analysis. And so often we'd see it across multiple um, um, you know, uh, data sources. So we'd see that the patient reported it. We saw it in the EHR and we saw it in um, Medicare or health insurance claims data. And so we're now looking at what's the incremental benefit of one on top of patient report, on top of EHR data. Yeah. Um, so some of that takes a little bit of time to tease out. We've had the results for a little over a month. So we're, we're working hard to, to figure that out. It's a big question, right, guys? Because if we could use patient reported outcomes, oof, we could further reduce costs. Keep in yeah. mind, I'm sure this study was not as costly as a randomized trial. Heartline, we're doing it 1% of the usual cost of a randomized trial because we're getting rid of so much of the paperwork and all, all yeah. that. You know, one of the problems with claims databases, at least in our country, is you have to be over a certain age to be part of the Medicaid, Medicare program to be included. So in electronic health records, you know, it's a tower of Babel. There's so many different electronic health records. We could just go to the patient, say, did you have a heart attack? Did you have a stroke? You know, figure out if they're dead or alive through the National Death Registry. It would be such an important improvement. So I look forward to see what you find there, Skylar. Well, and I think that's why, you know, really focusing on endpoints that matter to patients and to clinicians. So, one, you know, one of our components was all-cause death, and that's really important to everybody. We didn't do the adjudication that you and I do on, on many studies for, you know, cardiovascular and type 1 MI, type 2 MI, but um, this is a, a, you know, a broad look at multiple data sources, um, and we have the ability to have pretty generalizable lessons that we can use in future studies. Yeah. And, and I think about things like uh, aspirin tolerance, right? So we talk a lot about this, and we've talked about, and, and so the medical side is you've had bleeding that got to the hospital. But, that, but for me, uh, that's 
that's clearly important. But equally important will be I'm shaving and I can't get this uh, thing to stop bleeding. So it starts to become more than annoying or I become bruised and I don't want to be looking like I'm bruised everywhere. And so those are things that I think as we think about questions like uh, that, you know, medical medicine's trying to answer, asking a patient, like, what do you tolerate? That's going to be a different question than one that says you went to the hospital. Well, you know, what I say in all of our meetings, Greg, is a major bleed depends upon if you're having it or someone else. Is having it. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, that's right. In the morning saying, that's a major bleed. And, you know, otherwise, as doctors, we call it a nuisance bleed, you know, and, uh, you know, it's really, really, really great to have the patient's perspective. You know, you get older, you become a patient and uh, you become a little more sensitive to these things. Um, I was, uh, fortunate enough to be critically ill when I was 34 with uh, varicella pneumonia, ICU kind of setting. So it changed my perspective having been a patient. So, well, guys, this is just so spectacular. I know you're going to have a million different sub-studies come out of this. And uh, Greg, that was a great presentation today. You know, hopefully we'll see a patient up on the stage someday presenting the results of a late-breaking trial. Uh, so tremendous progress. Uh, keep up the great work, you guys. Awesome. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thanks to all of you for joining us here live from ACC 2021.